another episode of the ladies room we're so glad you're here as always my lovely co-host is jane mcmanus i'm julie decaro we are here to talk to you about sports um we've got a great interview coming up that we think you guys are really gonna love but before we do that uh jane i you know i was just thinking i'm sitting on the floor of my closet as i always am when i record this and, you know, the first time that when I recorded the audiobook for my book and when I, we did our first podcast and I'm like sitting on the floor of the closet and it was like, oh my God, how ridiculous. And now it is like, this is just where I go to do this. <laughs> and it doesn't seem weird at all. And I feel the same way about the masking stuff. Um, it, it just feels like we took a real left turn on masks really quickly and suddenly it's okay. No, you don't have to wear a mask anymore. And, and I feel, I feel traumatized <laughs> by the last year and a half and um, a little unsettled by the whole thing. Right. I think there are two, two parts of this. And one is that the CDC made a recommendation for vaccinated people based on how effective the vaccines are. Um, but we only have, you know, fewer than 40% of our population is actually fully vaccinated. So that means uh, what they functionally did was end a mask mandate nationally. Um, and I think, you know, there's a, obviously a big difference between, you know, what works for one segment of the population and what works for the other. And, and it, it's just, it's a big change and one that can have real you know, public health consequences, although hopefully it won't because we're going to be spending a lot more of our time outdoors and the rates seem to be going down in a lot of places, certainly in our local area, which is good. But yeah, it is, it is jarring. And I think there's a difference between, you know, public, I think there's a difference between science and behavioral science. Uh, and unfortunately, I think in the last year, we've learned that, you know, human behavior is 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 in its own best is in an individual's best interest and not in our public best interest and we've learned this over and over again in a lot of ways that have felt really crappy and certainly sports has been part of that lesson um yeah so i so i yeah i think it's a question mark going forward and whether or not this was done in in the best way possible uh, at the same time, I'm vaccinated, so I've been taking my mask off, and 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 I feel okay about that. Yeah. So I was traveling to pick up my son from college, and I, um, you know, had to stop for gas a couple times. And the first gas station I went in, there was an in like you know central Indiana, there was not a mask to be seen. And apparently, this has been going on for a while. That you know, Indiana lifted its mask mandate what six weeks ago or something, and this has just been the way it is. But coming from the Chicago area, which has been very like pro mask and very on board. Um, it, it's very strange to suddenly have everyone, you feel like you're naked. It, it's a really yeah. weird feeling. And, you know, one of the things I was thinking about is that I saw these people at playoff hockey games last night, where it's just a hundred percent capacity. Nobody's wearing a mask. And, um, I don't know, like, I feel like the last year traumatized us more than we know, and that it's going to take a little bit of time to uh, to feel like we go back to normal, because I think even when we, we all talk about how, oh, when I see people on TV, like, you know, kissing or like a crowd shot or people shaking hands or something, I just like immediately like flinch. And I think that there is going to be a PTSD, small P, 
PTSD um, aspect to this for all of us to get over? Well, as somebody described it, so I'm stealing this, but as the, I don't know if you had braces as a kid, but I sure did. And the day after you got them off and it was like, my teeth are naked, what's happening? You know, it felt very strange, even though, you know, not having braces on your teeth is the natural order of things. Right. So I, I kind of feel like it's that as well. And, and honestly, you know, the, the, the price that we would have to pay as a society for rates going up again, it's unlikely to happen if people are spending a lot of time outdoors and with rates going, getting lower. So I don't think we'll see. What about if you're spending your time indoors, like at a Stanley cup hockey game? <laughs> well, that's see, that is, that is the issue. That's going to be an issue. And then when, you know, when things get colder again, um, you know, put, if we have to come to a place where the rates are such that we have to put masks back on again, it, it's just without having it explained, um, you know, the public health reasons explained one way and another, I think, you know, it's already, it's always been such a battle anyway. It's become such a political divider. Um, you know, I'm, I'm just, I know if you have small younger kids who can't get vaccinated yet or, or, or immunocompromised or in a, or in a community where vaccines aren't as readily available you know, it's tough. Um, it's, it is, a, it's a, it does feel like an odd place because there are so many people who haven't been addressed. Yeah. They address one segment of the population, those who've been vaccinated, and yet the, the consequences are having an effect on everyone. So I saw, and I think the Yankees uh, case study with this was kind of interesting. Yeah. They had a bunch of guys vaccinated. I think they were Johnson and Johnson mm-hmm. um, who had breakthrough positive tests, not breakthrough infections, because I guess technically a breakthrough infection means you're like really sick and you have to be hospitalized. Um, so, so I was watching Dr. Fauci on all the Sunday shows yesterday or two days ago, and it seems like oh, you, so what we're learning is that you can be vaccinated, you can still pick it up and test positive, but that doesn't mean that you will spread it. Well, is that think, where we are? Yeah. I mean, that's for the most part, although, you know, I listened to those Sunday shows as well. And CDC director Rochelle Walensky said that 250 people have died of the virus who've been fully vaccinated. So there are, you know, it is, they are 95% effective if you get the Pfizer and Moderna. And I think Johnson and Johnson's a little less, but extremely effective in the main, but there are going, there are, but it's not a hundred percent. And there are still going to be, if you're a vulnerable population, a member of a vulnerable population and you're vaccinated, you are still relative to the rest of the vaccinated population vulnerable. So it depends a lot on community rates and that wasn't addressed at all when the CDC removed the mask requirement. So I think that's part of it. I, I mean, I still think there would be a place for like, a, you know, some sort of vaccine um, passport. And I know that, you know, that's a politically divisive idea as well, but I think that that would actually be really smart when it comes to public health. Um, but it's not, it doesn't seem to be it get off the ground. But in New York, of course, we have it through the Excelsior Pass. So I'm happy for that. Yeah, I... I- it's interesting because I was watching um, this documentary on Smithsonian Channel about the polio vaccine. And it was made like, I want to say circa like 2015 or something. And I was struck by the difference in how people responded to getting a vaccine for polio as opposed to getting a vaccine for for this. And, and I was thinking like, you know, I see so many people say, you know, whether or not you get a vaccine is your personal choice. And I'm like, you know, when did this become the narrative? Because when I was a kid, you got vaccinated and that's just the way it was. And if your kid wasn't vaccinated, they weren't coming to school. And now we've got this like, you know, this movement of like stay at home moms who like spend too much time on the internet. And I can say that because I was one of those women who did that at one point. 
and are convinced that vaccines are poison and that everyone's out to get their kid. And like, it is just so depressing to, to see the difference between the way parents responded to the polio vaccine and the way parents have responded to this. Okay. So Julie, I'm going to tell you a story. I don't know if you know this, but I was not vaccinated. as <gasps> I did not know that. So my mother, I moved around a lot. I had a very messed up childhood. That's a story for a very, a long, my struggle book. It's going to be 17 <laughs> volumes and it'll be very sad. You'll have to get out Kleenexes for it. But at the same time, I, the upshot is I was not vaccinated. My mother, you know, gave some sort of, said I needed a religious exemption for schools. We were not a religious family. So that was not the reason, but I didn't find this out until I was 25 years old. And I got into Columbia for grad school and they said, you need to show us proof of vaccination. I was like, no problem. So I went back to go look for proof of vaccination. And what I found in my school records was a little slip of paper that exempted me from having to be vaccinated. So of course, Columbia was not going to accept <laughs> that. Uh, and I had to go get all of my vaccines. And I'll be honest, I was pretty horrified. You know, I'd done some traveling at that point, uh, you know, maybe uh, gone a couple of days without washing my hands as thoroughly as I needed <laughs> to, you know, and I had no idea that I wasn't protected against measles and, and things like that. I'd had the chicken pox, but so I, I really, I, I understand what it's like to have parents or, uh, you know, that don't do that. And they, and the, um, and then to get to adulthood and be like, I need my vaccines and have to get every single human vaccine over the course of, you know, an hour in a doctor's office, you know, so people talk about, you know, the, I had no reticence to get those vaccines and, and I feel like it's really important. And of course, when my kids then were born, it was not a conversation about whether or not they were going to be vaccinated. It was only how and when. So um, I, I do understand how that sometimes happens, but I would like to say to those parents who decide this for their kids that it, you're not doing your kids favors. You know, it is you, if, if your kid is going to be a person of the world, if they're going to travel, um, you know, they don't want them to have to risk measles or whooping cough or any of these other things that can be quite rubella, for example. Well, yeah. And not only that, like we, I mean, you are able to move about in the world because we have pretty much eradicated a lot of these diseases because everyone got vaccinated. Right. And I benefited from herd immunity. Right. And, and when we only have 43% of the population, you know, I have a neighbor, a next door neighbor who works in healthcare. And she said early on, you know, this is going to be like the flu every year. It's going to come back and you're going to have to get a shot and you're going to have to put a mask on. And at the time, I mean, she told me that like a year ago and I was like, oh, come on, there's no evidence of that. But it feels like that's where we are, not because it's the nature of the virus that it's like the flu and it mutates every year, but because people won't get vaccinated. Right. We weren't able to stamp it out fast enough when it was just embers. And now it's it's a full on fire that's going to just be, you know, flaming in different parts of the human population at different times. Um, yeah, I agree with that. I think it's a real shame because we know exactly what we need to do. And you just had individuals who are unwilling to do it. But yeah. Yeah. So that's why this is so confusing. I don't think, um, you know, it is good that things are going down and, and I, you know, maybe it means that we can enjoy outdoor sports in the summer and not have to worry about it. And we can ventilate big arenas with high, high ceilings and, you know, and, and people can go see games and it's not going to be problematic, but I, you know, it's certainly, we can go play things outside, right? Like I, yeah. that's, I've been talking about this for a while. I would want to play some sports, you know? And, um, and it looks like that's going to be something that can be done um, but yeah, it is, you know, it is, it is, uh, I, I just feel like, you know, it, this is not mission accomplished. No, it's not. And, and this is our official, uh, ladies room endorsement. Go get vaccinated. Don't, don't try to survive this without a vaccination. 
Yeah. Agreed. All right. We'll be right back with a fantastic Kate Fagan here in the ladies' room. Welcome back to the ladies' room. Today, we are very excited to welcome the fantastic sports writer, broadcaster, author of books, which, you know, is the most impressive thing to me. Kate Fagan is joining us. And Kate, I know you've got a big day tomorrow. Tell us what's happening. So tomorrow is the launch for my new book, All the Colors Came Out. It's about my relationship with my dad and spending the last year of his life after he got an ALS diagnosis. I was able to help my mom take care of him. And the book is, I mean, ALS is always a bit of a, a, a dicey topic to introduce because it's, it's dark. But the book is, I think, a love letter to my dad and filled with gratitude about being able to reconnect with him in that last year of his life. And it's a look back on the lessons he taught me through the game of basketball, but that I think are more universal than just basketball. And also, I think it's, I want it to be a a book that anyone can pick up because we all have those relationships in our lives that over the years they've been, the you know, hurdles have been placed in them. They've been dented in some way that we want to get around to fixing them, but we think we have more time than we do or we're not sure how. And I feel like this book tells the story of, of fixing that relationship with my dad and hopefully will inspire others to look at those relationships in their lives and, and take the reins. What I love about your book is that I, you know, I feel like it tells you so much. If you have a relationship with somebody or you've had that relationship that involves sports and it involves kind of like the, you know, like the highs and the lows and coming back together and just being able to be with someone, you know, it's amazing how well you can know somebody just by playing pickup. And that's what so many people who were there to remember your dad after he died, you know, two years ago, that's so much of what that was about was just that camaraderie and it's an unspoken camaraderie. And you may not know all the details about somebody's life, but you know who they are and you get who they are. And, um, and that's why your book is so great. Um, but I wanted to talk also a little bit about, um, your article in sports illustrated and, you know, and women's sports and why women's sports aren't getting more coverage. And so I just took a little look, see, um, to see kind of what last Friday night, the, the first night for the WNBA season and where those games were placed. And, and there were four games that were broadcast on Friday night. One was on NBA TV. One and yes, and that was the Liberty game. The other, uh, Connecticut versus Atlanta, was on Twitter. Phoenix, Minnesota, was on CBS Sports Network, and Dallas uh, versus LA was on Facebook. And then I, I said, okay, so you know, National Women's Soccer League was also Saturday. Um, where were those games? And Louisville, Kansas City, was on CBS SN. Uh, Gotham, Houston, was on Paramount Plus, and then you had the rain in Carolina was on Twitch. And I think you know this goes to show a little bit. Um, you know, we have all been looking forward to the season ratings for these two leagues were up last year in the pandemic when they came back and yet we come to this season and here these leagues are streaming and for the most part ones on NBA TV, but they're difficult to find. There are not a lot of them and it is not a lot of difference this year from what we've had in the past. It is there. These broadcasters are stingy, even though they have the rights, they are stingy with showing these games. So I feel like I'm crystallizing ideas better than I ever did before. Or, you know, maybe maybe it's just like getting older and like trying to see things more clearly. But 
it, since he's since he's died, I've felt maybe it's being more human, having more humanity, whatever it is. I've I've kind of given a nod to him at feeling like I I, I kind of tip my cap to him and feeling like I'm seeing the sports world a little clearer than I used to. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I just wanted to say, you know, I, I want to talk about the Sports Illustrated thing because I think it is very clear eyed in talking about the way that, um, you know, not just men, but plenty of women have also viewed women's sports. So I wanted to talk about it because I, I, you know, one of the things that that really sort of got me was that uh, you talk about how many obstacles the WNBA has had to survive in order to make it 25 years. Um, you know, I remember when the WNBA first came out and it was sort of like, okay, well, I don't want to get too excited because I know this is just going to be another women's league that's going to fold. And it hasn't. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we always get the old tropes and you start out the story with one of the old tropes, but one of them also is, well, they wouldn't even be here if the, if the NBA didn't keep them afloat. But, you know, the bottom line is that at this point in their career, the NBA wasn't a stable organization that was financially solvent and they threw all the marketing and all the money into that league. So I always feel, and Jane and I say this on here all the time, let's put 30 years of marketing and resources into the WNBA and then check back in 30 years and see where we are. Yeah. And it's so, it's just, it's such a difficult conversation to have in the sports world because one, it's a, it's not as, as I've talked to Sue Bird a lot recently, it's not a simple conversation to have, you know, it's, it's a very nuanced conversation, the sports, the women's sports world. And even talking about why people watch sports, why we invest in sports, what it means to make money, what bottom lines look like if you are invested in on the front end. This, this, the conversation in the SI article lo looks specifically at the W, but what's been most difficult, even after this SI story came out, which of course, no matter how many, how long you live in the sports world, you still have that naivete of like, I put the ideas in the article, just read the, read the article, hopefully with some semblance of an open <laughs> mind and let's come out the backside and maybe we'll just look at women's sports a little differently for some reason. Julie and Jane, I believe that people would do this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, poor, sweet summer child. Right. <laughs> and it's just in a, it's just it's a nuanced conversation. You can't just say, well, the W hasn't made money because we don't know what kind of money the W can make because all of their marketing deals are packaged and we never get to see their worth outside of it. They're packaged up with the NBA and it's like, um, 20 years ago, we could have believed, well, look, we got some money right for the for the league rights to broadcast or their their drink sponsor. All of these things were packaged with the NBA. And you're like, OK, well, probably back then we've got more money than we would have gotten independently. But now the W doesn't even have standalone deals that it can sell because everything is packaged together and it doesn't even know its worth on the market. And but but are these the kind of conversations that we can have with? With sports fans, no, because often they're just like, I just want to see dunks. Women aren't exciting. They don't make money. End of story. And you can't get them to see past that first layer. We we talk about this a lot because you talk about the bundling and that happens the same thing is that, you know, and I, and, and I don't know how you feel about this, Kate, but I'm, I am getting to a point is that, you know, I used to think that broadcast networks 
sports. We're moving toward covering women's sports once they proved concept and showed that people cared about it and that they, they were dynamic athletes. And I think that has been done at this point. And yet we do not see broadcast networks moving to broadcast women's sports in the same way. I, yeah, I, I think to, to your first point about the games on Friday night, the tip-off games, just as an anecdotal experience for me personally, Friday night, I just, again, naive, naive me still living in this world that people, people must be starting to get it right. I'm like, okay, can't wait to watch the Liberty game. I'm in my hotel and I'm, I put on ESPN and I'm like, oh, okay, well, I've got an NBA pregame show. Well, all right, go to ESPN two in the middle of a different game. And now I'm in this place where I'm like, okay, that's a huge hurdle. So let's just say, let's just say a couple thousand people are in the same boat as me, where they're like, they thought they'd be able to watch the Liberty game. They pop on ESPN. Oh, it's not there. That's my first hurdle. My next hurdle is, okay, now I have to, now I have to go find where it is. And then I realize the Liberty game is on NBA TV. I don't have NBA TV. Here's a second hurdle. I have to download the NBA TV, TV app. How many people now have, how many people now have like followed my path and have cleared all three hurdles? Then not only do I have to download the app, I have to, I have to create an account, put in my credit card to get like my one week free trial to stream the game. Now, you're telling me that the NBA season opener is going to be that inaccessible to people. And I'm not even suggesting this is a, like, I don't need to be one-to-one. I don't need 180 WNBA games on TV, but the fact that the league opener wasn't on the main broadcast partner, that to me is unacceptable. And I, in my SI story, since I no longer work for ESPN, I was like, let me throw some middle fingers up to ESPN because (laughs) <laughs> I worked inside it and I said these things inside of it, but I got talked down from saying them on the platform, right? I was going to say them like, you don't, do you need to say that? They, they don't support the WNBA. They want, they want to trade on the equality of, you know, as I write in the article, like sport is sport. We support all women's sports. That partner does not do for the WNBA what they think they're doing for the WNBA. And it's, and it's getting better, but it's still not where it should be. The fact that, the and now I just feel like we're women complaining, which is a separate thing that gets put into my head. <laughs> that's that's pretty much the entire like ethos of this podcast. So that's fine. Okay. <laughs> but so I mean that's a separate thing that last year ratings are up 68% because you put 36 or something like that regular season games on air because you needed programming. Proof of concept, Jane. Once yeah, again, exactly. like you said. And then you drop down to 25. Why? Why, why drop down to 25? Because you're not really interested in women's sports as sports. You're interested in having them as mascots or charity uh, for your network, but you don't really think, I mean, I, that's the only thing I can, that's the only, I mean, ESPN is, is run for the most part. The programming decisions are made by white men of a certain age, um, and, and that's not every single one of them, but that, that's certainly, you know, if you were to, to look at the, you know, at a bunch of pictures of the VPs, that's what you would see. And I don't know um, that they necessarily believe in women's sports because, because the storytelling that is done about sports is often reinforcing, I think, masculine values and um, telling a story about masculinity. 
and it's not quite sure how to broadcast. And, and it's, it's, it's crazy because they have so many fantastic women working. And I think like, if you watch the NCAA tournament, the women's tournament, then you would see how good women are at storytelling about women and how compelling that, that broadcasting is. And I was like, after watching the NCAA tournament, I was like, oh, I really, I can't wait to watch the NBA season, the WNBA season this year, because, you know, these women feed into that and those stories are going to continue. And then to have it come to a dead stop after, I mean, I think it was really compelling coverage um, in March. And now it's just, again, baffling. Yeah. And, and I don't, and I, I'm, I'm at a bit of, a, I don't know if it's a dead end because I, or a crossroads or something, because I've, I've been focused on that SI story for three months, four months. And I, I thought it was, I thought it was readable. And I thought the points I made weren't, it wasn't like I was digging to like the eighth layer of an argument. I was like, these are pretty, you know, these are pretty, these are points that can be absorbed by a, like a, a pretty broad cross section of sports fans. And yet I still don't think it, it's even those ideas, which I know you all talk about on here. And Julie, I know you, you wrote about in your book. I just, I don't know how to continue to move the needle on these ideas. Cause they seem, if you plug into them, not just the stories of women's sports, but where they are in terms of the infrastructure and the support from the partners, like the Nikes and the ESPNs playing such a vital role in taking this next step. I'm at a crossroads about getting just casual fans to think past the first logical step. And I know that maybe I'm still back in my Pollyanna, like we can do this, but I'm at a bit of a crossroads about it. I, I don't know who to speak to anymore. Can I, can I say though, this seems to me, it's though it's the climate change is real argument of the sports world in some ways, which is there are just some people who are very invested in not believing in climate change. And you can sit there and you can say, well, but the glaciers are melting and the average temperatures are going up, et cetera, et cetera. Floods happening, whatever it is. And they're just going to be like, nope, I don't see climate change. It's not real. It's not happening to me. It still snows in the wintertime. So I, I, th- I kind of feel like we're in, it's the same sort of logical uh, reductive argument that we are coming to with women's sports, improving concept of women's sports. We're like, yeah, but you know, they lined Broadway when the U S women won the world cup again. Um, you know, more and more women are interested in the, the, the NCAA, uh, women's tournament. And you can go on, you know, WNBA being compelling and, and women's tennis stars, um, constantly, you know, being on in the headlines and, and it just doesn't even matter. It's like, it doesn't matter whatever evidence you're presenting, the it's that people aren't invested in the idea that men's sports are more important. And we just cannot upend the world for women's sports getting a better chance. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I, uh, I, go ahead, Kate. No, please, Julie, jump in. Oh, I was going to say, you know, what I've had so many people reach out to me and this was really, it took me a while to sort of absorb this information, but, you know, outside of working at a radio station where I was the only woman and having, you know, every time I talked about the WNBA, Everyone on the text line starts screaming, you know, no one cares about women's sports, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, men's talk, sports talk radio is a very like male dominated demographic. Um, And it's a certain kind. (laughs) Yeah, it's a certain kind of male. It's a certain demographic of male. So like I didn't give too much credence to their thoughts. But 
when um, I started having like one guy reach out to me and say that he was got in trouble for putting too many women on Fox soccer. And another guy said, and two women reached out to me who worked for ESPN stats and info and said that, you know, they were the, only the women did WNBA stats. And that if um, the guys were sitting there doing nothing, they still gave the WNBA stuff to the woman who might've been working on something else because the guys weren't going to like lower themselves to, to, you know, crunch stats on the WNBA. That kind of thing really sort of rocked my world because I feel like I thought that beyond that narrow demographic of male men who listen to sports talk radio, that the rest of the world was sort of starting to embrace women's sports. And that really sort of knocked me back a little bit because I did not expect to hear that about organizations that so that out front are so supportive of women's sports. You're spot on. You're spot on. And I think I, I, at times, because of the conversations I like to have, the, you know, with the company I like to keep, the things I like to consume, I similarly thought over the last year that we were moving forward. And I do think we are. Don't get me wrong. I do think we are. I think what needs to be avoided, and, and this is something that when I was talking to to Megan Rapino, we we were kind of talking through is that women's sports, she was talking about her moment in 2019. And she was saying that think about everything that had to happen to create that moment. And she's so funny. So she's, you know, she's saying Trump has to tweet at me, you know, the US, she's talking about the US women's national team winning the World Cup in 2019. Trump has to tweet at me. I have to score. I then have to go score goals. We have to win the entire World Cup. My hair has to be pink. (laughs) I have to be dating Sue Bird. Sue Bird has to be writing articles in the Players' Tribune. It's like women, female athletes have to capture lightning in a bottle. Yeah. And it's like it goes back to the 99ers. And it's like they capture lightning in a bottle. And I and I know in talking to Julie Foudy, they thought, okay, now the women who come after me can stand on our shoulders. But what ends what ends up happening is that moment, if you think of this visual of like standing on our shoulders, the culture beats it into the ground. And then you have to wait another decade for like a lightning in a bottle moment. And I think the next one after 99ers, maybe that we can point to is the Rapino to Wambach cross against Brazil in 2011. And then that's a moment. And once again, though, you can't build off of the big moments and gain all of the ground, right? So it's not shoulder onto shoulder. It's like shoulder standing on, you know, uh, a sinking ground and the culture presses it down. And then we have to capture lightning in a bottle again. Like, as Megan said, she's like, we shouldn't have to do that. We shouldn't have to wait for these lightning in a bottle moments. We should be allowed to like pave new ground and then not have it close up behind us. But that doesn't seem to be the way it happens. It seems to be that, like the the whatever percentage of the sports fans just they they have to go out of their way to trash women's sports like are bulldozing whatever ground we pave right behind us and that's the part that i'm like how do we change that dynamic so we can build on the moments rather than having to redo them every 10 years i would just like it noted for the record that kate fagan did an extraordinary casual name drop um <laughs> Just hanging out with, with Megan Rapino and yeah, you know, it's like, like, we, we asked Julie last week when she was Julie last week, we asked her like, if she's like name dropping, like Jessica Chastain and Natalie Portman everywhere she goes like, Oh, I got to take this text. It's Natalie. I'll be right back. <laughs> well, 
if I can, if I can, then I can make a pitch for why I know that story from Megan is because I did a podcast with Sue and Megan talking about all of these ideas and kind of getting their inside, their insight. And I think that's worth a listen because they both individually have seen their value on the market and they don't, you know, as they don't understand if their value is X on the market, why the teams they play for is like X minus 10 times. It just doesn't add up. And I think it speaks to this idea of if you can learn your value on the open market as like an individual female athlete, then we need to get to a place where teams can understand their individual value on the open market. And we've never really had that in the last few years where I think there's more uh, open, there's more of receptiveness to women's sports, I think, than there used to be. Well, I think what's part of what is happening with this is that um, you, there are gatekeepers and the gatekeepers have no interest in increasing coverage for women's sports. You know, all you have to do is, yeah. I, you know, I, I checked out the New York Times after the Liberty, um, you know, one on Friday and also UNESCO had that incredible shot you know, where she called it and then she celebrated. It was, you know, Twitter that went all over Twitter and social media. And, and it was clear that the story had been like pre-written. It was pretty low down on, in terms of like where it was on the, on the times uh, webpage. And it was, you know, and it didn't mention the spot until the shot until the last graph. And it was a very short story. And it was just, it was clear that they hadn't really given a lot of thought to it. Washington Post did a good job, but I mean, I really do think the broadcasters are being very stin- you know, stingy with, especially ESPN. You have property, you have the rights to show, to broadcast WNBA, and you're so stingy with the games that you're actually putting on that you end up, I think, decreasing the value of the property ultimately. Um, and, but I think what we're seeing now, and, you know, and this is kind of where like Foudy and, and, um, our former teammate, Sarah Spain, who I know you don't like as much as you like me and like working with me. That's absolutely okay. accurate. <laughs> but, but that's where they go. They, they are coming in and purchasing, investing in some of these national women's soccer teams. And that makes a huge difference. And I think what women are saying is, yeah, okay. Yeah. We're not going to get around these gatekeepers. We've had 30 years of trying to prove concept. They're not interested. Okay, what are we going to do? We got to do it ourselves. And I kind of feel like, you know, in some ways, like this is the story of how women get things done anyway. That's a really, it's, you're so right about the gatekeepers, because even I'm seeing everywhere I look now, at the very top, when you walk into a meeting of whoever it is, two big companies trying to sell women's sports the person who's trying to sell it doesn't really understand it or believe in it, but they know they have to kind of try and sell it. And so there's somebody down below who gets it and wants to sell X, you know, let's, let's, if it's, you know, Gatorade, let's be more involved in the WNBA. Then whoever's actually trying to sell that is always usually is not always is usually someone who's not actually that passionate about the person who's actually in the pitch meeting is someone who's like, yeah, so I think, you know, women's sports, maybe you give that a shot too, but doesn't really understand it. And we have to get the people in the room selling it who actually understand how to sell it. And that is that is a huge next step. And another thing that I, in, you mentioned Angel City and Julie Foudy and like this new ownership model, the thing that I've seen happening more and more is that women with cultural capital, whether that's Natalie Portman, wh- whomever, name any of the Angel City investors, they're finally realizing that, they need to spend their cultural capital on 
women and female athletes and women's sports. Instead of the old model was if you were a big star, you aligned yourself by getting like sideline tickets to the Lakers game. It's like, do the Lakers need you to be using your cultural capital on the Lakers? It's like, that's me. That's like me promoting a Marvel movie, right? Like right. who needs me to tell you to go see a Marvel movie instead of me spending whatever small amount of cultural capital I have to say, here's what I'm watching. I'm watching the Arizona women's basketball NCAA tournament game. Like, I don't, why do I need to be aligning myself with the Lakers and the Knicks? It's like, that's just me trying to get more cultural capital rather than women spending their cultural capital to, to, to make women's sports and female athletes cooler. And I think that's the transition we're seeing is like these big name stars across media saying, I'm going to spend my cultural capital and share it with the women of the W. And that's not something we've ever really seen before. You know, one of the things that we always talk on, about on here, Kate, or at least I do, I bring up all the time is that men try to rule by like fascism and I'm, you know, I, what I say goes and women build consensus. And one of the things that I've started noticing, and this is sort of, I guess, what gives me hope in the face of, you know, I don't know who else to talk to. Like, I don't know who else to speak to about this either. But one of the things I think that we've seen change over the course of the past five years is that women in sports writing sort of all, I feel like we all sort of talk to each other and we're like, we have to cover the NW, or the uh, WNBA. We have to cover the NWSL. Even if you don't know any of the players, even if you don't know, you have to start watching it and you have to start talking about it. And mm -hmm. there are so many women out there who have been covering this league for no money at all, who have done an absolutely terrific job um, promoting everything about the athletes, promoting, um, the jerseys promoting when Sabrina Ionescu is on the cover of jam of like all these things that we didn't know about. And I feel like they are the ones that have lifted the sport to where it is now. So I can look at my timeline and I can be like, God, everybody's talking about the WNBA in my timeline. But, you know, I follow a lot of women who cover sports and I follow mostly people who talk about sports. Um, do we have a sense that like that is starting to make a, a difference in the real world, like outside those of us that cover sports? I, I think so. I think I, I do think that there, even despite all my complaining on this podcast and my kind of like dead end, what do we do from here? I there there is still the part of me that will never give up the optimistic viewpoint that we are headed in the right direction, whether it's slower than I think it should be. And of course, it, of course, it always is. But to your point. We have these irrefutable metrics now. And, you know, the dudes love the metrics and they love the numbers and they, that's, that's what they want to see. And I love numbers too. And I think when you look at something like both the ratings for the, the, world, the Women's World Cup, which is an anomaly of an event, it's not like we can replicate that. But if you look at the ratings of the W and even the Twitter engagement being so much higher for certain portions of the Women's NCAA tournament, I think it's all to your point of so many of us, and I think a lot of men too in media, they realize that this small step that they can make by sharing their cultural capital, by tweeting about the game, and by showing their followers that they're paying attention to the game, that this small step that they can take has huge ripple effects. Because what has oh, one big thing that's always held women's sports back, and it and it goes back to this hired old argument that makes me bang my head against the wall when dudes are like, well, women don't watch women's sports. So why should men do it? And, and, I, and it's, and I, and I say it's tired. Cause I'm like, do you think women are, do you think women watch sports for different reasons than men watch sports? Yeah. They're not, it's not 100% overlapping, but like most people are watching sports because 
they want to be a part of the cultural conversation. So if there's zero cultural conversation about women's sports, why, what, what am I going to be a woman over here in the corner? Like I'm at Buffalo wild wings and I'm sitting in the corner by myself. No, <laughs> like that's not how sports work. So anyone <laughs> It's ridiculous. So it makes me think of all those like sports one-on-one things they have for women where it's like, come drink wine, get a pedicure and we'll explain football <laughs> to you. It's like, what is so I think to your point, I do think just all of these media members and maybe it is just like a Twitter thing, but even if it's a Twitter thing, that is a, that is a place where things can move the needle slightly. All of us sharing whatever cultural capital we have by saying we're doing this thing and we're talking about this thing and giving it the coolness factor is, I think that's really important. Yeah, I couldn't agree more because I I got to the point where, you know, I've always watched soccer because I was a soccer player, but basketball wasn't something that unless it was college basketball, it necessarily gravitated to outside of the Bulls when I was growing up. Um, but now it's like, I feel like if I'm not watching the WNBA, I'm missing out and I'm not going to be part of the conversation the next day. So my butt is in front of the TV in my orange t-shirt cheering on the sky um, because it, it does have the coolness factor. And I do feel like I'm not doing my job and I'm not, um, I'm not going to be able to hang with the cool kids if I'm not watching, which I think is a great sort of thing that you want your sport to have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you can only find it now, you got to right. just be able to find the games. Well, and you know what else kills me about the guys that say like, oh, like starting off Kate's article, I don't want to watch this because I only want to watch sports at the highest level. Really? Do you watch college basketball? Do you watch men's college basketball? Do you watch high school basketball? I bet you do. So, I right. mean, that argument to me is just, it's, I mean, obviously Kate does a great job just destroying it in the first couple of paragraphs, but that's always what I think. Like, that's not true. You, you don't want to watch it at the highest level. If that was what you did, you would only watch the NBA and nothing else, but that's not what you do. Yeah. This idea of why we watch sports is crucial. It's crucial. If anyone wants to be slightly introspective, it's why we watch sports is at the crux of everything that has to do with women's basketball because we watch sports are in i mean this is not a new thought but sports are entertainment and yes one level of that is the freakish biology you know biological superiority of so many male athletes that is i'm not like i don't i don't think that very many of us would argue that watching supreme athleticism and supreme athletic moments is not amazing when you're watching the NBA. Mm-hmm. But that is the very tip of the iceberg about why we watch sports. I mean, anyone, anyone can invest one hour of time in getting to know, you know, Ari McDonald at Arizona, and you're sitting on the edge of, the, your, edge of your seat one day later. It's not complicated once you start thinking about why we watch sports, but people don't want to think about why we watch sports. They just want to believe that all they care about is biological superiority, because if they if they shatter that belief, they are going to have to recognize the fact that the women of the W and female athletes are held back there. It's like the last not the last, but it's like a main outpost in sports where if you want to be racist, sexist and homophobic, you just have to profess your hate of the W as like your closeted yeah. version of being able to be those things. You can be those things without saying you're those things by shitting on the W and people don't want to give that up. So the other day I watched a movie about uh, Rudolf Nureyev, who is a, a famous ballet dancer from, you know, who, who emigrated or who defected to France in, in 1961 from the former Soviet Union. And I went down this rabbit hole of just like watching old film of his, looking up Mikhail Baryshnikov, et cetera. And it just, of course, made it, you, the, these men who were ballet dancers 
were physically so incredible. If it were just about watching absolute physicality at its peak, then, you know, Rudolf Nureyev would have been as popular as Roger Staubach. Like he would, he is that level of, of physical ability honed to perfection. It takes the same amount of practice to be an elite ballet dancer. It takes the same amount of dedication. It is just as competitive to be able to rise to the ranks. But we don't follow men who perform in ballet that way. And we don't hold them up in the same way. And I'll bet if you were to talk to a lot of people who put down women's sports, they would also have something to say about men who choose to perform Mm -hmm. in the ballet. And so I think, you know, and so to my mind, when I was kind of going down this rabbit hole, it brought up all of these ideas that it is so much of this idea of sports and value really has to go with what we think of as peak masculinity and peak femininity. And women who play sports at a high level don't fit into that category of the, of what we expect the most out of femininity at the height of femininity. Um, and just like male ballet dancers for a certain segment of the public are not going to do that either. And even so to me, it's this, it is a lie to say that we are just looking for the absolute best of human physical performance, because it is not about that. Sports is about something different. It is highly cultural and it is highly gendered. And I think, you know, all you have to do is look at these uh, laws that are trying, that Republican legislatures are trying to pass about uh, trans athletes and trying to keep them out of quote unquote women's sports. And I just, I think, I think we really need to open our eyes and say, what is happening here is far beyond sports and the idea of what competition is. It is very much about a policing of gender. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm snapping over here, Jane. That's what people do these days. Or maybe five. <laughs> and also don't use punctuation in text. Did you guys know that? I just found Wait. this out. Wait, what? That like using a period in texting is considered aggressive. Really? Oh. Am I like, I see, I feel like I'm so late to this. Everyone's like, yeah, everyone knows that. I'm like, really? I've been doing that forever. I just thought I didn't know that. that. Yeah. Yeah. Every, you probably turned off a whole bunch of people. Yeah, that's why I don't have any friends anymore is because I'm always using punctuation <laughs> in my text. Damn punctuation. Well, yeah, yeah, Jane, Jane, it's because I'm complaining about women's sports so frequently. Everyone's turned off. <laughs> and, you know, well, God, that's me. I mean, 24 hours a day. But, you know, it, it's amazing. Like when we, I spent a year, you know, diving into these issues and talking to people and, you know, listening to Jane every week and listening to all the guests we've had on here and listening to Kate talk. Like, it's amazing how much of this just comes down. You know, we talk about it, it's nuanced and it's complicated and it is in a way. But in another very important way, it's amazing how many things in this country come down to the patriarchy, racism and homophobia. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I mean, it's like 99 percent of our problems. Yeah, it's, you know, after this SI article came out, it was like every dude on Twitter who would just say something dismissive of the W, you take one look, like you don't even have to scroll far through their timeline and you're seeing something either racist, sexist or homophobic. You know, it's it's not confusing why people go out of their way to shit on the W in particular, because it's a predominantly... Uh, it's a predominantly black league and has always had like that anti LGBTQ sentiment to it. Mm-hmm. It, it. It's not as if you have, it's not as if I'm saying that everyone who doesn't watch the WNBA is one of those things. That's not it at all because I'm, but I'm saying everyone who goes out of their way to trash it, yeah. that is reflective of, of them. And that is a lot, that is, you know, there's no data on this, but 
that is a big issue that the W faces because they don't even get to start from ground zero. They get buried by people going out of their way to make sure that anyone who could be considering paying attention to the W, they get the flashing message that it's not cool. It's not cool. And like that is a huge thing that the W has faced specifically, but women's sports in general for decades. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to, I'm going to end though. Kate, on a positive I'm, note, Jane, I'm going to turn it all around because you know me, <laughs> I just like to take it up a notch. I'm a, I'm all about the happiness and the, you know, the, the silver linings. Um, no, I just, I, but I wanted to ask, like, we've seen a number of just to, you know, started on a downward place. We've seen a lot of people like Trey Wingo and Kenny Main. I mean, who are, are leaving ESPN. There've been a lot of layoffs there. And I think, you know, when I left, certainly there was like this idea of, you know, life after ESPN is never going to be as good <laughs> as life when you're there. And, and of course that's not true, but I, and, but you now have life after ESPN and what have you, you know, what have you been able to do with the time where you're not, you know, scrolling Twitter, looking at every single headline so that if something comes up on a show, you have an opinion about it. Oh God. Thank I'm not doing that anymore. Um, <laughs> I, I, I couldn't agree with you more that the, the time at ESPN, I think, I don't think it was purposeful, but the messaging that kind of gets encoded into you is that there is no life after ESPN, that it is the premier platform and that it is where all meaningful things about sports will happen. And you kind of, you get caught up in that belief and there's a trepidation about leaving it, but I have never, at the last years of my life, have, I've never been more meaningful. <laughs> I've done the most meaningful work of my life. And I don't mean work as in the capitalistic pursuit of productivity, but as in reconnecting, obviously I spent a good chunk of it with my dad spending a, a, a year of it, helping my mom take care of him. And then the next year, writing the book and spending time with my family and figuring out what it is that I want to be a part of in the sports world. And I think that the place I've landed on is that I want to get back what ESPN took from me because in my career at ESPN, I, I wanted to be about women's sports and female athletes and be a part of growing them. And I think this is something that Jane, you probably felt at times too, but maybe you had thicker skin than me after a while of trying to do that, whether it's on Twitter or when you're in production rooms or whether it's when you're on air the amount of blowback that you get for talking about women's sports and female athletes and the amount of internal resistance to it is tiring. Mm -hmm. Not in like, you know, not in the digging ditches kind of way, but you just kind of get worn down. And eventually I got to this place at ESPN where I was said, you know what? I can just make more money and my life is easier if I'm just talking about Chris Paul and LeBron James. Mm -hmm. And taking that time away from ESPN and finding who I want to be and getting back to what I care about. And I think the SI article is, is a bit of a thesis statement about what I care about and being like, I want to make the world this so fucking ridiculous, but I, I just, I want the women's sports world to just like Megan Rapino and Sue Bird are doing in the WNBA and the NWSL collectively, they want to leave a world for the next players coming in better. Like I want to be a small part of that, whatever that is. And being able to find that and realizing that there are now there are changed minds in places where, whether it's Google and Amazon being a part of the W or I think people are, op- this is my positivity spin, Jane, because this is what you wanted. I think people are <laughs> opening their eyes to it. I think they are. I think there's still so much resistance, but I think that even the resistance 
is realizing they need to shift course. And I, and I want to be on that boat when it sails. That's my metaphor. That, so that's that is, yeah, I, I love that so much. And I, and I think that for so many women working in this industry, whether it's anything that pushes against the, the narrative, whether it's, you know, men's sports is the best or whether it's, hey, maybe we shouldn't uh, demon, you know, or deify guys who hurt women in their spare time. I mean, no matter what it is, I, I feel like we've all gotten blowback and we've all gotten resistance for that. And I think that you did a really great job of, of, um, you know, sort of enunciating what it is that, that keeps everybody going. So we couldn't be gladder that you're on a uh, team women's sports, Kate, and <laughs> that you're going to make a huge difference going yeah, forward. Let's all Thanks. row in, let's all row in the same direction. Yes. Shall we? Stroke. Stroke. <laughs> uh, boat analogies for the future. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Put it on a poster, slap it on a wall with a boat yep. sunset. Um, yeah, we're we're so glad that you were able to join us today, Kate. Best of luck with the launch. Um, I'm sure you'll people be you'll be popping up all over the place doing interviews and stuff. So I'm really excited to read it. And uh I, I wish you all the luck in the world. Yeah. Thanks to both of you. It's good chatting and um We'll just, we'll be in our little rowboat, just pulling hard, right? <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> Kate Fagan, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, y'all. Kate is amazing. I'm so glad that we were able to get her. You know, it, it's been, I know that you and Kate are friends um, and keep in contact, but you know, a couple of times I've loved when she hosted Outside the Lines. Mm. Um, and I really thought she was like the perfect person to take that show over. Um, and I, uh, are we going to see Kate pop up on Real Sports? I feel like we should. Now that um, there's a space I, to fill. <laughs> I'm not sure about that. I think you, I think we, we need to, you know, see, see how that develops. But she's, those are the types of things that she's, excellent at right which is like even just the conversation we just had right absolutely conversations about bigger picture issues she is excellent at that and in some ways she was you know she can certainly do the day-to-day stuff like here's what happened in the game last night and here's what's going on in the nba but in some ways that's a bit of a waste for her because she's capable of so much more by the way i just want to say we did mention a podcast there she does a podcast with her wife Catherine Budig. it's called free cookies it is excellent please go check it out and her book all the colors came out about her father is available everywhere. You know, I've had Beautiful Day stuck in my head for the past day, and I think it's because of the title. Oh. Because that's a lick and the, all the colors came out. Ha, it's a beautiful day, right? <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. That's so good. I, okay, so I know that you want to talk about uh, Bill Gates, which I also want to talk about because the juicy. Um, before we do that, though, I just want to give a shout out to Shohei Otani of the Angels, who is yeah. uh, doing something we have not seen done in baseball in my lifetime, which is be a true two-way player. He's leading the majors in home runs right now. He's also got a 210 ERA. I remain convinced that Joe Madden will somehow misuse him horribly, leading to season-ending <laughs> injury, because uh, that's what Joe Madden does. He's going to put him at, like, shortstop or something. But, um, you know, whenever we have players who come over who have who have played in Japan, I feel like there's a little bit of skepticism um, because people always, you know, call Japanese leagues, like, quadruple-A baseball. I mean, and I think that all you have to do is port, port to, like, you know, Masahiro Tanaka or Ichiro. Mm-hmm to show that that is not the case. But, um, you know, we have not seen someone who is able to be a true two-way player for, for decades. So, uh, yeah, shout out to him for living up to the hype because uh, I don't think anybody saw this coming. Yeah, it's great to see. All right, um, on to Bill Gates and gossip. 
Gosh. Okay. So I, yeah, I, this is like, uh, this has been a bit fascinating, I think, because, you know, it's essentially American royalty. Um, and the amount of money that's involved is, is quite unholy. So, um, at the, at the same time, I, I do think in some ways we are seeing that wealth is no insulation in this case from uh, marriage that unhappiness or the unhappiness that marriage can, can sometimes host. Um, and it's just been really wild to see these details come out about, you know, Jeffrey Epstein and riding the Lolita Express, which is quite disturbing, but also, you know, how the foundation stuff is going to be split up and about his, the way he treated women who worked for him as a, you know, as a, as a bit of a Tinder service, potentially, you know, according to the New York times. Um, The best part is that he kept getting turned down. Like he has so much confidence. He's just like, you know, I want to see you to women. And they're like, "Mm, no, thanks. Cause you're still Bill Gates. I don't care how much money you have. Right, right, right. Well, okay. So Bill, you know, if you're listening to this, I'm not in that camp, you know, feel free to hit me up in the DMs. I'm, you know, I'll listen. I'll listen. How could you possibly date Bill Gates after that, his attempt to dance, you know, after that one Microsoft presentation that is just like <laughs> I, infamous? Just, I just, I could never, that's all I would think about the whole time we're together. And you know what? I'm actually, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not on the market right now. I'm, I've been married for 20 years. So, um, so I'm not, not looking even for Bill Gates, but I do think that there would be a curiosity factor. I'd be like, yeah, let's go to dinner. What the hell? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to order the lobster. No, make it two. And, um, every bottle of wine, please. Lobster <laughs> stuffed with lobster. <laughs> no, no. I just think it would be, I'd be curious to, to see kind of, you know, is he really just a, you know, a big rich nerd? Or, or is it, you know, I mean, I've been impressed by some of the stuff that he's said about vaccines, certainly not, in, you know, with the, the patents and not sharing the patents, but, but so he certainly was ahead of the curve on a number of different things. I think it might be interesting to pick his brain, but, um, you know, at the same time, I just, I feel like I, it is a bit of rubbernecking that I'm doing with the stories that are coming out about, uh, that marriage dissolving. Yeah. Um, I don't know what to say about it other than I'm like, you know, when your husband refuses to stop hanging around with Jeffrey Epstein, it's pretty clear you have a problem. So, and this was after he'd already been convicted of, of, you know, whatever he was convicted of the first time he went to prison, sex trafficking or, but it was like, it was like, all right. So maybe not then. (laughs) Maybe, maybe not suitable. Um, But, but I do, I do think it's, you know, it is, it is a case study in how people who can be really smart about certain things can be really uh, very stupid about their own personal lives. Um, and I also think it has given me such respect for Melinda Gates, right? (laughs) Because not only was she a woman in the workforce who, you know, probably did approach the, (laughs) their first date, like I would, which would be, you know, Oh, interesting. You seem Mm -hmm. like, (laughs) let's treat this like Um, a science experiment. Right. Exactly. Nerds in the wild. (laughs) Exactly. But then, but then to also to be like, you know, I'm, I just, I can't anymore with this. There is no amount of money that's going to make it worth my while. Um, and you know, even with three kids to say, you know what, I have a line that was the line and it was crossed. And also to hear some of the things that she said about the way women in the workforce should be treated, given now what, what's coming out about this, you know, she's taken some, she must've known that she was taking those stands, knowing what was happening, um, with her husband and, you know, the allegedly hitting on different women that he worked with. And I just think that's, you know, I just such respect for her. Uh, and the way that she's gone about, you know, coming, kind of using her own influence uh, and the intellect 
So I just yeah, it's uh, yeah. I was thinking about I was thinking about that yesterday and thinking about what a departure her comments have been from the freaking lean in shit, (laughs) which I never, which I thought was insane from the beginning. You know, like I'm standing in court with a baby on my hip. Are you in emotion? Being like, really, I'm supposed to lean in more than this, Cheryl? Okay. (laughs) I mean, I know, I know, it doesn't have anything to do with Microsoft, but it's just you know the world of nerds and Silicon Valley and that whole thing. Yeah, that is not super sports related. So, you know, I mean, he, none of this is Paul Allen. He did buy an NBA team. Yes. Um, I, you know, yesterday I had one of those days where I was just sort of gobsmacked by the confidence that some men have. And this this fits right into that. I mean, you yeah. are the world's most famous nerd. Like, that's not a demographic women are like, you know, dying to date. I mean, maybe, I guess, I don't know. I, I couldn't, I... Bill Gates just randomly soliciting women is just like, and, and I just have this image of women doing the Simpsons thing, like, ew, no, you know, just yeah, you know. But I always, I, I always had a soft spot for I, I, my thing has always been smart men, whatever. Me, me too, me men. too, but not, not yeah. Bill Gates smart, no. Yeah. <laughs> well, apparently it's Bill Gates stupid. <laughs> so yeah, you know, in the in the ways that would matter. So that's that's a shame. But it it isn't. I just again, it just it is fascinating to see this information come out. And this is why people don't get divorced because this is the dirty laundry you don't want. Exactly right. Oh, hey, you're talking to a former divorce attorney. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Let me tell you, there was nothing more soul sucking than watching rich people fight over money. Like it was just like, you know, you're making like, you know, you're a young attorney, you're making not that much money, despite what people think. And you're watching people fight over, you know, like millions of dollars. And you're just like, ugh. Who gets the beach house, Julie? Yeah, who gets the who gets the uh, one million airline miles? That was something I had to negotiate at one point. We need a. That's like, uh, isn't that a joke? Isn't that like that was in some movie, wasn't it? About they they were having a fight over the miles. I forget which. That's one. a real thing. I had a, a a guy who had like a million airline miles, and his wife wanted half, and he was like, "No, it took me forever to get a million miles." And um, it was a whole big thing. Also, uh, parents joint parenting agreements for pets. <laughs> uh, well, I yeah, did. I will say, when I broke up with my my last boyfriend before I got married, we did have a um, shared custody arrangement for Barkley. Yes. So I feel like most people can just work that out between them, though. You don't have to yeah. have like a you know sixteen page document on it, which is yeah. what I wound up writing. Anyway, that's neither here nor there, and none of this has anything to do with sports, but that's fine because well, actually, it does to... because Barkley was named after Charles Barkley. Oh, it it has everything to do with sports, then. It Never does. Mind. It really is. It all. Comes By the back. way, speaking of sports and speaking of Charles Barkley, did you see the Keegan Michael Key Last Dance satire they did on SNL? No. Oh my God. Go run and watch it right now. So you know that Michael Jordan's weird little security guy he had? Yes. 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 So Heidi Gardner played him. And it was a thing about Jordan just not being able to stop gambling. And they're playing this game called quarters against the wall where you throw a quarter and see how close it lands on the wall. And it's just Jordan just going completely over the top on gambling. And Keegan Michael Key is sitting in the chair in the exact same pose being like, and I took that personally. I mean, the whole thing is just so well done. That is, I will have to check that. I love Last Dance. It seems like it just like, you know, that is like the start of the pandemic, right? Last Dance will forever herald it. Yeah, remember. It makes sense that the mask mandate comes with a SNL reprise of a scene from Last Dance. No? Yeah, last year at this time, that was our sports. Right. That's what we were watching was Last Dance. Yep. Crazy. 
See, and it does come back to sports, Julie. It's not just all about Bill Gates and dating nerds. Hey, listen, I had a radio show, uh, a sports talk radio station where we once discussed World War I documentaries for an hour. So, I mean, <laughs> I'm not known for sticking to sports. Yes, exactly. Hey, uh, well, thanks for listening. Uh, huge thank you to Kate Fagan for joining us. Thanks to everyone who tuned in and downloaded. And of course, if you liked the episode, we would love it if you told a friend. And if you went and uh, left us a review over on Apple Podcasts, give us a follow on social media at Jane Sports and at Julie DeCaro. And we will see you next week here on The Ladies Room. <laughs>